0: Today, same thing. We're going to be introduced to another set of obscure men and their response to the Word of God and what they do with it. So that's what we're going to get into today. So let's read together Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and then we'll dive into it. It says, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So we've probably heard this story in some form or fashion or brought it together with the rest of the Christmas story and the shepherds and the angels and the birth of Jesus and Mary and Joseph and the manger in Bethlehem and and the star and all that, right? So we're really bringing all this together. But we're going to focus in on this story and we're going to kind of break it down a little bit to bring a lot of understanding. But in going through this, I don't know if it raises for you the same questions or a lot of the questions that it raised for me over the years. And a lot of the time, not really even given a second thought to, one, who are these wise men? We just kind of hear them as a part of the Christmas story. Oh, they're wise men, there's three of them, they're on camels, they're traveling over the desert, and they find Jesus, worship him, give him gifts, and take off, never hear from them again. But it raises some questions like, who are they? Where really did they come from? Other questions that might come up is, are they just a part of a story, or is there some importance to who they are and why they came? What is the significance of this star that they followed? Have you thought about that? Have you really questioned that? What was this star? Was it a star? And we'll talk a little bit about that later. Maybe finally, what is the effect of these men to this story? What is the effect of maybe those that saw them come to find Jesus and their response to him? A lot of questions to go through. And Lord willing, we're going to answer some of those today. Maybe some we won't. Maybe you have others that you've written down or thought about or studied. But we're going to get into it and really see what God is going to speak to us today. But utilizing the song and the lyrics that you have in front of you, We Three Kings. And so I want to read just the, kind of the beginning of that song, the lyrics again. Again, this was written by John Henry Hopkins back in 1857. And that first stanza there says, We three kings of Orient are, Bearing gifts we traverse afar, Field and fountain, moor and mountain, Following yonder star. And so, who are these men? Where'd they come from? What are they all about? So, these wise men are actually discussed in Scripture beyond Matthew chapter 2. And maybe not these specifically, but wise men like them are discussed in Scripture. And so, let's take a quick look at who these are. And so if you look at that word, wise men, or that term, it actually comes from magi. You probably heard that term as well, the magi. And if you think about the term that we have today that sounds like that, add a C to it. Magic or magician. That's who these men were, the magi. These wise men in ancient days were sorcerers, magicians. They were wizards, some would say. They were into astronomy or astrology, both in that day kind of combined. They were all about the future, figuring out signs in the stars or whatever else they could or writings to figure out what was going to happen in the future. Very well studied, very well learned men. Very high up in their society, working right next to kings and queens And so we're going to talk a little bit more about them as to maybe, okay, why is it we three kings when they're not referred to as kings in Scripture? Maybe that was another question. We'll address that in a little bit. But very possibly, and we're not told, but very possibly, these wise men came from Babylon. That's not a guarantee. I'm not saying that's for certain that these that came were from Babylon. But what we read in Scripture is that there were wise men similarly in babylon and so they were a monotheistic sect of people they believed in a god but not the god of the bible not our god that we believe in and so if you put some of that together as we're going to get into what else is significant about babylon and these wise men, if you're piecing your scripture together, if you can think back to where we've heard that before, we've got to go back to the story of Daniel. We go back to the story of Daniel when the Israelites were brought to captivity in Babylon. And Daniel and some other youth, you probably heard the name Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were brought into captivity as well. But Daniel ra- rises through the ranks. And the king in Babylon at that time, his name is Nebuchadnezzar. And King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, multiple dreams. And he asked these wizards, these sorcerers, these astrologers to come and interpret his dream for him because he didn't know what it meant. And so many of these wise men, as they're referred to, came to the king and tried to interpret his dream, but they couldn't. So who does the king call upon? Daniel. And what we know of Daniel is Daniel is a man of God. Daniel and his buddies stood firm in their faith in captivity as slaves in Babylon, didn't they? When everybody else bowed down, they stood up. When everybody else was uh, forced to take on the Babylonian culture and education and life and society, they did not. They held true to their faith in the one true God that they believed in. And so Daniel is called upon by the king and Daniel walks in, interprets the dream, and what happens to Daniel in that moment? He is elevated to almost second in command of all of Babylon. And we're told in Daniel chapter 2 verse 48 it says then the king speaking of King Nebuchadnezzar, g- <coughs> excuse me, gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Okay, so when you look at that term, the wise men of Babylon, and then you come to Matthew chapter 2 and look at the same term, same definition. So these wise men in Babylon potentially could have been, 600 years later, wise men that came from the area of Babylon to seek out Jesus. Because maybe as a monotheistic group, that had hundreds of years of influence in the one true God, maybe originating from Daniel and others, maybe some of that faith, maybe because they're wealthy, maybe had access to the scriptures of the time, and because of their studies and because of who they were, maybe they started to learn a little bit more about who scripture spoke to. Because as we learned in our study of the Gospel of Mark, all of the scriptures in that day spoke to Jesus Christ, didn't they? Jesus said himself, all of the scriptures spoke to me and my arrival. And so there's a connection there that I think is interesting. And so as we continue on, but uh, let, me, let me read this. Actually, at one point, I, I want to I make it very clear that these wise men... I don't want to immediately label them as followers of Jesus, that they were seeking out Jesus. We want to make that clear because in Scripture as well, God actually condemns Babylon and kind of condemns the wise men. And we read that in Isaiah chapter 47. In God's judgment against Babylon, speaking through the prophet Isaiah, he says all the advice you receive has made you tired where are all your astrologers those stargazers who made predictions each month let them stand up and save you from what the future holds and so kind of condemns Babylon condemns these wise men these astrologers thinking the people putting their faith and trust in them so what I'm trying to do is lay the foundation that these are very important well-respected men in their society searching for something. In their studies and what they learn, they're searching for something. Whether it's through that former influence of Daniel, again, that took place 600 years before the birth of Christ, but maybe over time, maybe through what scriptures they were able to ascertain in their studies, something convinced them that a king was going to be born and through their studies that was going to come through in the form of a sign a star and they went to go and see who this king would be so why are they referred to as kings very famous song famous Christmas song we three kings well let's eliminate a couple things really quick these wise men, these magi, are not kings by right. And so, but what does Scripture say And why song and why tradition would label these magi as kings? A few verses, and there are others, but a few we're going to talk about this morning. Number one, Psalm 68, verse 29 says, Kings shall bear gifts to you. That's one. Psalm 72 Verses ten and eleven says, "May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts." Now Sheba is speaking of Arabia and Persia from the east of where Jerusalem and Israel lie. So they were going to come from the east where these wise men came from. May the kings of Sheba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. So scripture is speaking to the fact that kings were going to come, kings were going to bring gifts, and kings were going to bow down to Jesus. And so when this happens, maybe tradition refers to these wise men as these kings. But the one that really brings this to light, one that really brings this to why maybe this song was written and and these wise men are referred to as kings, Isaiah chapter sixty. Verses 3 and 6. Isaiah 60, verse 3 says, And nations shall come to your light. Following? And kings to the brightness of your rising. Verse 6 says, A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah. Again, speaking of those from the east. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news the praises of the Lord. So we can see why these wise men, these magi were maybe labeled as kings later on in tradition and in song. But were they true kings? No, they weren't. But they were important nonetheless in their society. So, they follow this star, and we'll get to that. But they come to Jerusalem. The beginning tells us, it says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking a very important question. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? So these astrologers interested in the stars, dreams, and the future could have taken direct interest in all they had learned from biblical influence that maybe Daniel had brought to Babylon. But being wealthy individuals, as we talked about, maybe had attained a copy of the scriptures Again, we don't know for sure. But as all the Scripture speaks to Jesus, they could have set course to find the one who would be king. Because again, Scripture and even the Scriptures that they had in their day speaks to this. Genesis 49.10 says, The scepter, a king's scepter, shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him. Tribute is what? Gifts. Gifts. Or payment what does numbers chapter 24 verse 17 say I see him but not now I behold him but not near a star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel so the scripture in that day speaks to a star rising out of Israel a king arising out of Israel is that what these wise men were reading That they believed in so much by the word of God that they had or were told had enough faith to go and find out. Can I say that again? And I want that to be very clear. Through the word of God and what they were told or what they studied, they had enough faith to go and seek him out. That's a strong word for us today. So let's carry on in that. So what is this star they were following? Was it a literal star? Now, if you followed news as of late, we know on December 21st, that next week, we're going to have the opportunity, if the skies are clear, to see what they call the Bethlehem star. And it's actually two planets that are going to be close together, the two largest planets in our system, Jupiter and Saturn. Now, even though these two planets are still millions of miles apart from one another, from our perspective, they're going to cross paths at that moment. And they're going to be so close together that it's going to look like one planet, or as planets shine in the sky, it looks like what? A star. So if the night is clear enough, get on outside southwestern sky, I believe, you'll see Jupiter and Saturn come together and it's going to look like one bright star. Could that have been what these wise men saw? Was it Jupiter? Was it Jupiter and Saturn? Because what we're going to see on December 21st has not happened in 800 years, at least to the extent that we're going to be able to see it. So not since uh, history says in the year 1226, Did this happen by record what we're gonna see? So it might be a pretty cool event if you're into stars in the sky, okay? Could this have been that? We don't know because we're not told. Some have speculated that it was a comet because what did this star do for the wise men? It guided them. Given the appearance that this star was moving, could it have been a comet? Could it have been some other astrological event Could it have been God himself? Could it have been, as we talked about last week, the glory of God? That the vision of what all those men talked about and saw Isaiah and Ezekiel and others and John saw the glory of God, what did they see? The brightness of the glory of God. So much so that they couldn't look directly at it. They fell on their face because it was so bright. Because of who God is and who Jesus is, who dwells in unapproachable light. Could it have been the glory of God? Just as God led the Israelites out of Egypt by what? A pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. God led them out Did God divinely act in the hearts and minds of these wise men and directly lead them exactly to the place of the birth of Jesus Christ? Well, because it's in Scripture where he was born, God led them exactly to where they needed to be. So, who knows what it was? But what we can surmise from Scripture It was a star or like a star, and we're just going to need to be okay with that. Amen? Let's move on. Regardless of whatever it was, regardless of who these men were, regardless of where they came from, what does Scripture very clearly tell us that they came to do? Find the king and worship him. That we know. And that's what's so powerful about this story. But where did they come to? Did they go immediately to Jesus? Did they go immediately to Bethlehem? No. Scripture tells us that they went to Jerusalem. Why? Because where else would a king in Israel be? How about the political and religious center of the entire civilization? Where the temple was? So they went to Jerusalem and asked the question, where is the king of the Jews? And so they go to King Herod at the time, who in his own right is technically not a true king. He was placed in that position by Rome because of a favor of Julius Caesar to Herod's father. He granted him to be king over Israel, but not a true king. But it led them to Judah, but not directly to Jesus. So they had enough faith to act on what they've been told and act on what they've read. And what else do they do that I think we need to gather from? They go to Jerusalem in faith and do what? They ask. They ask questions. We've come this far, but where is this king? Thinking, the king of the Jews, that if they go to the Jewish center of politics and religion, don't you think that Jewish people would be able to tell them where he was? You'd think so. And they did. But something else we can gather from that. But King Herod becomes troubled. Why would King Herod be troubled? Because these Gentiles, these guys from the East, popular guys, well-to-do guys, could you imagine the caravan that they came with? Do we know it was only three? Does Scripture tell us it was only three? No, it doesn't. We surmise it was three because there were three gifts mentioned. So maybe it was only three. But more than likely, if it was three, and the importance of who these guys were, and according to what Scripture tells us, they came with a caravan. And so them marching into Jerusalem, asking where the king of the Jews is you think that troubled herod who was not the rightful king yeah but why does it say that king herod was troubled and all of jerusalem was troubled with him because he was not a nice man he was not a righteous ruler he was erratic he was skeptical he killed his wife and his sons and and others it was told of king herod that When he died, he had it ordered that at least a hundred Jewish people would be killed the day that he died so that there would be given the semblance of mourning because of who he was. He was not right. And so if he's troubled, the people become troubled because who knows what's going to happen if he gets a little angry. But... Herod calls the religious elite and keepers of the Jewish law and custom together to advise these wise men of the possible whereabouts of the king. And so what do the Pharisees, the chief priests, the scribes? They tell him exactly where he is. Did that raise any questions for anybody? If they knew exactly where Jesus was going to be born, if they knew what scripture said about Jesus, the king of the Jews, that he was going to be born in Bethlehem, Bethlehem was only five miles away from Jerusalem. So they knew Scripture. They knew where He would be born. But they didn't do a thing about it. It only gives rise to kind of how they're portrayed in Scripture. They knew the Word. They had the knowledge, but didn't do anything with it. And compare that to these wise men who knew the Word, had the knowledge, and did what? They did something with it. They did something about it. But they informed these wise men and King Herod of where Jesus would be born. Quoting Micah chapter 5, verse 2. says, But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, the one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. So they quote scripture as to where Jesus would be born. They quote scripture as to where the king of the Jews would be born and did nothing about it. Came across this quote from Warren Wiersbe. He said the Magi were seeking the king. Herod was opposing the king. The Jewish priests were ignoring the king. These priests knew the scriptures and pointed others to the Savior, but they would not go to worship him themselves. They quoted scripture, but did not obey it. They were five miles from the very Son of God, yet they did not go to see him. So as we move on in the story, we're not going to talk about it today too much, but Herod then has a secret meeting with the wise men, getting more information from them as to when they saw this star originally, so that he could start to devise in his mind what he could do to the individual that might threaten his position as king. And if we jump ahead into verse 16, it says, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all the region who were two years old and under, according to the time that had been ascertained from the wise men. This is who Herod was. You see why Jerusalem was troubled as well? They had every right to be. So after receiving word from the chief priests and the scribes, again, they had some word, whether it was the scripture or otherwise, and they acted on it. Now they get word from King Herod and the chief priests. And what do they do? They act on it. And so they set out and go to Bethlehem. And verse 10 said, when they saw the star again, what did they do? They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Does that sound familiar? Remember our conversation last week? What did the angel announce to the shepherds? I bring you what? Good news of great joy. So in any conversation relating to Jesus, it's good news that provides great joy. So when these wise men saw the star again, they rejoiced. That same joy is to be expressed by us who have found, received, and experienced Jesus as Lord it's the second listed fruit of the Spirit that we should have in our life if we follow an experience and say we love Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. It is a characteristic of God that should exude in us because of the relationship we have with Jesus, because of what He did for us. Joy is an aspect of our life. If we are in Christ. But we're told that that star came to rest over the house. They entered the house and fell down and worshiped Jesus, offering him gifts. And here's where we're going to jump into the song again and read through some of the stanzas. But just let me just make clear because it seems to be what people need to do. And I'm not. I'm not disrespecting, I'm not denigrating, I'm not doing anything against your nativity scene at your house. But if the wise men are a part of the nativity scene with baby Jesus in the manger, your nativity scene is wrong. I don't know why that needs to be told, but every single commentary, every single pastor, everybody needs to mention that. And I don't know why, so I'm just going to go ahead and join as well. So you technically need to place the wise men and their camel about two years after your nativity scene. So wherever your nativity scene is in your house, put the wise men about two years that way. Because technically that's around the time that they came. They came after Jesus was born. Because did you see, they didn't visit Jesus the baby in the manger. They visited Jesus the child with Mary in the house. So there's just that little difference. Apparently we need to make that clear. So fix your nativity scenes or leave them the same and carry on with life and you'll feel no different. We good with that? Okay, let's carry on. So the next stanza in our song, We Three Kings, says, Born a king on Bethlehem's plain. Gold I bring to crown him again. King forever, ceasing never, over us all to reign. And so one of these wise men brings gold. Gold is a gift suited for what? A king. A king suited for royalty and the question that these wise men asked when they come to find jesus was what where is the king of the jews something else if you want to make note you notice they didn't say where is the one born who would become king of the jews they didn't say that did they He said, where is the king of the Jews? He was born king because he already was king. Amen? So gold is a gift fit for a king and maybe, most likely, helped finance their impending trip to Egypt. Good timing, right? Does God know of what Herod was devising, knowing that in now a dream he was going to tell them that they needed to go to Egypt because Herod was going to do what he did and therefore, Jesus' life was saved. So, because Joseph and Mary were meager means, that gold maybe helped them get to Egypt, stay for a while, and then come back. The second gift, the next verse, says, frankincense to offer have I. Incense owns a deity nigh. Prayer and praising, voices raising, worshiping God on high. Frankincense is a fragrant offering. It's Incense. And it's actually frankincense is an incense that was stored in the temple. Used in temple. Used in sacrifice in the temple. So if gold was fit for a king frankincense is fit for what? A priest. Does that makes sense? Because Jesus Christ is our great high priest. The next verse says myrrh is mine. Its bitter perfume breathes A life of gathering gloom, sorrowing, sighing, bleeding, dying, sealed in the stone cold tomb. We talked about myrrh already. That this gift of myrrh, although a perfume, was used for two other reasons. And when Jesus is led to the cross, they offer him that mix of myrrh and wine. It was supposed to be used as, uh, uh, what's the term, Uh, anesthetic to numb the pain. Remember we talked about that, and that's prior, uh, when Jesus first got to the cross, he denied that. So he could have all his faculties knowing what he was doing. But myrrh is also used for burial purposes. Because the Jewish people did not embalm the dead, they loaded them up with myrrh and perfume to help with the decomposition. So when Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus brought Jesus down from the cross and placed him in the tomb, Nicodemus had about 75 pounds of myrrh. Did these wise men know the gifts that they would present to Jesus would have so much significance to his life? I'm going to say no. But did our God? Absolutely. That he is a king. He is our great high priest. And he was that sacrificial lamb that would give up his life later. And how significant and appropriate those gifts. So, what do we learn from these wise men? We asked a lot of questions, right? Hopefully, some of those were answered very quickly, very vaguely, maybe very generally. But what I want us to focus on now as we start to wrap this up is what we learn about worship. From these wise men what do we learn about worship that they didn't travel from the east they didn't travel over the the deserts and and into Jerusalem and then set up shop and set up a band and, and strum a few songs for Jesus that is an aspect of worship and we do it here and we always will our songs of praise to Christ is so important so thankful for Anthony and and Carol and the rest of the team that leads us in worship every week. So vital. But there is also so much more to worship we need to understand and so much about worship that we can learn from these magi. Because again, they learned of the coming king through the spoken and written word. They asked questions to learn more and how to find the king. And on that word and by faith, they sought him out. When they saw him... They may have worshiped him with words. We don't know because we're not told. But when they see the child Jesus, they fall down and worship him. I don't know what that sounded like or what words they expressed. But what do we know? Is out of their abundance, they offered him what they could and what they had. Our life, our purpose, should be charged by a desire to know Jesus, to seek Jesus, and to abundantly give to Jesus. Jesus would later say in his ministry in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The heart of these men was to travel afar to go and find this king and to offer him gifts. So much about the worship of these wise men is the action they took, the faith they had. They didn't just take up and store up the knowledge of this king and just seek to get more knowledge. They acted on that knowledge. They acted on that word. They rejoiced at the sign that God gave them and then fell down and worshiped the king and gave to the king. Right worship is always and must be the only basis for right giving and right learning and right service. Giving is generous, but done apart from a loving relationship with God is empty giving. Learning that is orthodox and biblical, but is learned apart from knowing and depending on the source of truth is empty knowledge. Service. That is demanding and sacrificial, but done in the power of the flesh or for the praise of men is empty service. We can do all those things week after week after week. But if worship and service and sacrifice is not done from a heart for Jesus, then it doesn't matter. Does that sound familiar? We can read about that in 1 Corinthians 13. We can do all these things. We can serve. We can be martyred. We can go on the mission field. We can come to church. We can sit here and worship. We can go through scripture. We can live this life. But if it's done apart from who Christ is and for Christ alone in love, it means nothing. Scripture tells us it's nothing more than a clanging gong or a cymbal. It's noise. Our worship of God needs to be done from a heart that loves him. That knows him, that is dedicated to him, and from that we sing, from that we give, from that we serve. John 4, 24 says, For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. What does that mean? When we give our lives to the Lord, when we commit our lives to Him, He immediately blesses us with the gift of His Spirit, His presence in us. And if we believe in that, we can worship from that. But we also worship in Spirit. We also worship in truth, that we know who we're worshiping. We know who we're giving to. We know who we're serving. Because He Himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So from the Spirit of God's presence... To the Spirit of God in Jesus Christ, we worship. First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 29 says, Give to the Lord the glory he deserves. Bring your offering and come into his presence. Worship the Lord in all his holy splendor. So again, we started out by asking a lot of questions pertaining to these wise men, the star, where they're from, who they were, their importance, and hopefully, again, we've covered some of that. But I want to ask another very important question because I would do you wrong if I let you walk away and all we did was focus on the wise men. We're not here to learn from the wise men. We can learn, and hopefully we will. But the more important question we need to ask is what is the effect of Jesus on the wise men? Not how important and what we learn from the wise men, but what is this, the centrality of this story is who they came to worship, who they gave their gifts to. We don't dedicate our lives of worship based on the wise men. We do it based on Jesus Christ. So what is the impact of the star on all of our lives? Are we going to get all astrological right now? No. No but I want to bring something to light, no pun intended, that I think is very important. Who did Jesus say he was? John 8, 12. I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. And what would he say to the churches in Revelation chapter 22, verse 16? I am the bright morning star. That's who Jesus is our bright morning star. So are we seeking Him? Are we abiding in His light? In who He is and claims to be? Let me give you a couple verses to consider, maybe write down and really reflect on these this next week, maybe even today. In Titus chapter 2, it says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, Our response to Jesus and who He is, His light, His glory, is to go and live for Him. But live in His light. Let His light shine from you. Remember, we talked about last last week be that jar of clay that is holding that light. But in order for that light to be exposed, what do we need to do? We need to break ourselves. We need to let that light shine because it's not about us. We're just a vessel to let the light of God shine. And finally, to bring this back to kind of where we started. We talked about Daniel, right? Daniel's influence maybe on the wise men of Babylon 600 years before Christ. So let me ask you a question and then I'll read this verse. Are we denying the voices of discouragement and dissuasion and doing what he calls us to do, which is what? Worship him unashamedly and give to him wholeheartedly. What did Daniel say about this? Daniel 12, verse 3. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. That's who we get to be. If we are wise, if we seek Jesus, if we seek that righteousness and holiness and be self-controlled, but be zealous for good works for Him to shine His light because it's about Him letting others know who He is, bringing them into the true light. That's what we get to do. Be like those stars forever and ever and shine bright. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.